Hey, it's time to get on code. Time for the Get On Code show. I'm Seiko Varner. Peace, beloved. Peace, beloved. And I have with me Minister Zumbi. What's up, brother? Minister Eight Ball. <laughs> uh, peace and greetings. And we also have us with we also have with us brother Ryan Culver. He's the director, and I guess the force behind the film, The Education of a Negro. How you doing, Ryan? Very good. Very good. I'm excited to be here. Thank you all for having me. Good stuff, man. Good stuff. Well, we're going to chat about empowerment. Our show was focused, focused, focused firmly on empowerment. And when I look at content like what you have with the education of a Negro, and I look at what, you know, Minister Eightball has, <laughs> Minister Zumbi, with uh, the GOAT book, uh, it's all focused on empowerment. So tell us a little bit about this. And uh, are you in this picture? I know you asked that earlier, but you said this was your lead actor, right? That is, yes, that brother's the lead actor to the right, uh, Kendrick's Lamaze Brown. And then to his left, the young lady in the black and yellow is the uh, the lead actress. So, and they are both a, a young tour de force. Uh, actually, the brother was in uh, Harriet and the sister was on Insecure. She had a, a two or three episode arc on Insecure, the show, Issa Rae show on HBO. So mm-hmm. it was... Um, a pleasure to be able to work with both of those two up and coming actors. Okay. And look, your film, The Education of a Negro, is on Amazon Prime a lot, along with some other places. Also found it on uh, YouTube. You can buy it on YouTube, but I, I saw it was on Amazon Prime and I was really excited about that. Minister Zumbi, I know you were saying that you were interested in the business of putting a film like this out, right? Yeah, especially with what technology has now offered. You don't have to shop a screenplay to Hollywood. And with the uh, emergence of crowdfunding, where now you can actually go to your fan base to raise capital for your movie. So it's a game changer that, that I think you'll see grow over the next decade. What was it like for you, Brother Ryan, to uh, put out this film? And what's the business behind it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The brother had some real good insight into how things have uh, have changed. It's been definitely a sea change. I would not have been able to put this movie out. I would not have been able to make this movie 10 years ago. Uh, but the, um, the um, you know, advances in camera technology, going from film to digital, and then just the number of, of um, to be completely honest, the number of skilled black actors uh, that are out there that a low budget feature film like this has access to uh, makes it totally, like the brother said, makes it totally, totally possible uh, for me to start at the beginning, which is the key, right? I have to start at the beginning. I have to do things myself and then I have to get good enough to be able to warrant, um, you know, investors coming on and and subsequent projects. So the business end was really uh, family um, and friends uh, buying into my idea. Uh, I don't know if I've said this yet, but the film is really based around, loosely based around the Philando Castile murder uh, up in Minneapolis. I don't know if you two brothers remember that back in yes. 2016. Mm-hmm. His girlfriend live streamed his death, which was shocking at the time to actually see it. And being from Minnesota, it was one of those where I'm usually very, um, uh, very, um, I'm not the one that believes that the cops are going to be held accountable. But for this one, I thought 
It was so egregious. There was really no choice. Of course, a year later, the officer is acquitted. Surprising to me. Uh, and then I thought, you know what, I, I got something to say about this, uh, how we're treated, uh, our responses to how we're treated. And I'm not satisfied with another Facebook post and 100 likes. I need a message that I want to give to, um, frankly, to give to, to to my people about this subject. And then I wrote the screenplay. Like I said, I got buy-in from uh, my family. Um, we kept it on a tight budget. And uh, we were able to deliver a picture that, you know, it's a low-budget film for sure, but um, uh, people like it. And so that was kind of how we ran around the business. And I didn't make this necessarily to make to make money. It was more of a love letter to uh, to Black people about what's uh, what's been happening to us. Well, yeah, that Philando Castile situation was was still. I, I still shiver when I think about that situation because you're right. His 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 you know beloved light his beloved lady. Uh, you know. I, I just stutter when I think about that situation. And I, I think that we're really set up in America for another similar result. I believe that Derek Chauvin is going to walk free. I think he's going to be celebrated and I think he's going to be employed very shortly thereafter. Um, the, even though, you know, the George Floyd's family just recently, as you were sharing, Mr. Zumbi, received $27 million for his murder. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I do believe that police officers is going to walk or police officers, because it was a squad of them, three of them that were involved in that particular situation. Um, and I've been dismayed by it as well. So you were so bothered by this Philando Castile situation, you decided to make a movie. That's yes, different. Sir. Yeah. That hits different, man. That hits so different. Most people want to march. Most people want a Facebook post. But you made a movie. Yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't, it, it felt like, and I guess maybe just some of that is, is my nature, but it just felt like, um, and I don't begrudge anyone who decides to march or chant, you know, that, uh, that's not what I'm here. You know what I mean? I'm not saying that's wrong. I'm saying for me, I felt like a movie would be much more powerful message on what's been happening, how it's been happening. And, you know, what kind of needs to be done about it. Yeah, and that graphic, uh, I live in Dallas now, and I brother both from John. Um, I mean, another tragedy, right, to just see what brothers eating ice cream and, and getting ready for bed. And um, a cop busts in and decides that he's, you know, robbing her and it's not her house. And, you know, I think she got seven years, which is which seems weird, right? I mean, drug dealers get more than that the first time around. So, yeah, it was just, it was to me, Seiko, it was, it was, I have something to say. Uh, and, and what gives me encouragement is that people who see the film love it. And I love when they come back to me and they're like, I got them. Like, I understand what you were trying to say. Like, I got the message in, in this film. And I, you know, like that to me is all the currency I need is when the family looks at it, watches the film and says, thank you. We got it. This makes sense. This is the film we've been waiting for. We don't see this kind of stuff coming out of Hollywood, but this is a message we needed. So, I wanted to take a moment and watch the trailer. So we're going to watch the trailer, and I would love to get your responses to it afterwards. Sure. See, we sacrifice our blood 
for America. Ruth sacrificed it for him. Tell me a story about Kirk. Huh? Your brother. Tell me a story about him. Yo. Yo, what up, baby? What's good? Yeah. How did it come to this? There's a video on the internet with 40 million views. That's how it came to this. White supremacist infiltration of law enforcement. It's the key to understanding the breadth and depth of this nationwide. Is that a twist? God! Brother took his last breath, scared and confused in the hospital room. Brady doesn't get to walk away from that. Wow. Wow. That's, that's, wow. All right. So, so I know you can't give away the goods. You know, we want people to buy the movie. <laughs> <laughs> How comfortable were the white actors in portraying white supremacists? Seiko, that's a great question. So we did, real back, quick background for you before I answer the question. We did a six-city tour, um, and this is back before COVID. And after every show, I would you know go to the front, and I'd take questions for 30 minutes, 45 minutes. And I kid you not, that was a, a, a question that came up all the time. I can tell you I was lucky enough to have professional actors who understood that this was a role and were able to hit it from the beginning without any, you know, hesitancy or, and I was just like, I felt blessed in that regard because I going in, not having any experience, I was a rookie director. I thought it was going to be conversations and we use the N word a lot and they use the N word a lot. And the brother right there in the picture, the guy right there in the picture is, um, you know, he's the villain. Like I said, I'm not going to give it away, but he does some really, really bad things. And he couldn't be, a, you know, couldn't be a nicer guy. So I felt lucky that I had good actors out in L.A. who understood that this is a role and that good actors can inhabit any role and figure out what they need to do to get the uh, to get the job done. So I was lucky in, in that regard. But everyone asked that question because they're like, man, let's say this. And this seems really uncomfortable. And there are a couple. Of uncom- I don't know if you guys have seen the film yet, but the opening is very uncomfortable. And um, we were just lucky enough to get actors who didn't, um, who didn't, um, you know, have any uh, have any issues with that. And uh, on the trailer at the end, this is probably the comment I get the most a lot from brothers is that Kenny, who's the main character, says, "My brother died alone in the hospital, scared and alone in the hospital room, and you think I'm just going to let Brady get away with that? Like, that's not good enough for him, right? Like, I don't need a check." I don't need a guilty plea, right? You harm my brother, somebody's going to pay. And it's that simple for him, right? Like, it's that simple for him. And that's part of the, like I said, I'm not going to give it away, but that's part of kind of what drives the plot forward is when he kind of gets to that point where he's saying, you know what, enough is enough, right? You know, if I have to die, so be it. But I can't let my brother, you know, go out like this in vain, so... Uh, do you think that we're getting to that point? Um, so I, I think I think we have 
much more faith in the justice system in 2021 than the justice system deserves. Uh, I think, you know, because this is really, America is really all we have. Most Americans, the majority of Black Americans, legacy Black Americans have been cut off for 400, 500 years. So there is no other home to go back to. Um, do I think we're getting to that point? No, no, honestly, I, I don't. Um, but you see with the Capitol riot that um, there are a lot of Americans that are already at that point, right? When they want something, I mean, who would have ever dreamt that the riot would be under siege, or the Capitol would be under, the U.S. Capitol would be under siege from armed white supremacists? Did either of you ever think that that was possible? I didn't. I have to admit, I thought it was possible, but I didn't see it coming. I didn't see it coming is is vividly, and I wasn't surprised when it happened, but I didn't see it. I, I thought it would have happened much sooner. I really thought it would happen much sooner. And so I, I didn't see it coming when it came. You know, I, I, I really thought things would have happened on election day. Okay, so yeah, you mean just in relation to Donald, like Donald Trump, and he was egging them on and trying to get that started. Yeah, yeah, I definitely could 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 have seen that, but um, yeah, I just, I mean, to me, it was just like, oh, okay, this is, you know, they're saying <clears throat> this is normal, and they want something and they're not getting it, and so they're going to use guns and nooses and bombs and you know to get uh, an election result. So, you know. This is crazy. Now, it looks to me like you have multiple trailers. So I just saw a trailer. As a matter of fact, I, I was just playing it in the background while you were talking. I'm going to play this time with the volume and let's talk about it afterwards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What I do and don't mean. Who's talking about now? Now, it's the first years I've seen for you all week. You're hurting me, Kenny. Yeah? Look at that hurt. Then you should bounce. What does that mean? Can you look at me? Look at me. What does that mean? Keep doing. I know he was your brother.
All right, give us the goods on this one, man. What yeah. what just happened? Yeah, what did we yeah, just yeah. see? What did we just see? <laughs> what did we just see? So I, I'm looking and I'm like, okay, a fiance just said beat it. <laughs> uh and it must have been his brother who was killed. It, I know you can't give away the whole film, but what do we just see in this this little slice? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wish I would have known you were gonna do this. I could have given you a better, much better clip. That was the one that Apple um uh, you couldn't have cursing and, you know, so I had to, we had to come up with something that was good enough for Apple. That's a long story short. So what happens in this scene? Uh, that's Kenny on the right. That's uh, JJ on the left. That's his fiance. His brother was killed uh, by a cop 13 days ago and they've just come back from the funeral. And she, as any good girlfriend wife would do, is trying to console him and thinks the way can, to console him is to tell him um, the pastor's given a sermon on forgiveness and we must learn to forgive. And uh, he's not having any of it. He's not Thank having you. any of it. And um, she is uh, when she, you know, she 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 kind of is taken aback when he kind of starts cursing and, and telling her that you know I don't want to hear that right now, and I'm not in the mood for that. This has happened too many times for us to keep for us to keep just saying you know forgive, forgive, forgive. And um, she continues on. And that what you saw there was kind of the end of of the uh, of the uh, of the argument when he just tells her, you know what, you, you need to go ahead and leave if that's the, the attitude you're gonna bring. She says no, as any good wife would. She understands that he is um, he's uh, you know in the middle of a catharsis, if you will. And uh, luckily, she sticks around. And then again, I don't want to give anything away, but. She uh she does turn up uh in the end. Okay. And, um, so she 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 uh she's a a badass, if you will. Uh, she learns to be a badass really quick in the end. And this is the the scene you just watched, or the half of the scene you just watched, is actually the second people's second favorite scene. And their favorite scene is a scene I call the bathroom scene. And again, I won't uh, won't give that away, but there's a twist that usually shocks um, shocks everybody in the bathroom. All right. but this is usually people's second favorite. The funeral scene is people's second favorite scene. All right. What's happening in this scene? The funeral scene, right? Uh, it, it looks like to be oh, a couple in a oh. car. <laughs> so these are uh, these are. Uh, Right on the right, that's a gentleman named Paul McDade. He plays a reporter. And on the left is a um, young lady named uh, S- Mikhail Simons. They both play reporters. One is from New York. The other one is a, a local reporter. And they are investigating white supremacy in the police department. And keep in mind, I, 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 wrote, this, I wrote this script back in 2017. So this is well before all of the... Uh, Talk about white came up. But that's what this scene is. They're talking about white supremacy, and they've just actually uncovered some documents of a couple of cops that are known to be uh, white supremacists, and they're discussing it. All right. And tell us about this one. Yeah, that's a poster. That's probably our most uh, most uh, famous poster. So I don't know if you gentlemen have seen the movie uh, Silence of the Lambs. Yes. Okay. So I just, I took um, uh, a page out of their book. If you remember, it's Jodie Foster. She's got a butterfly cover in her mouth. 
And so, yeah, I kind of took that concept, but I put no more talk because, you know, I think that kind of speaks for itself, right? That, you know, things have happened maybe one too many times and, you know, all the talking is going to have to, it's going to have to come to a stop at some point. So, Right, right. Hey, this is the Get On Code show. We're chatting with Ryan Culver. He's the uh, producer of the film that every black person should see in 2021. And it's called The Education of a Negro. Also along with me is Minister Zumbi. I, I call him Minister A-Ball. I like that a little better. <laughs> He's the author of the great book, Goat. The Gospel of Afronomics Theology. So he's going to ask some business-based questions because he's the uh, he's the theologist when it comes to business. Uh, Minister Zumbi, any questions popping in your head, man? Well, there's two ways I could approach it. I can either either the theme of the movie or the business, but I think I'll go with the theme first. From all of the trailers I've seen. <clears throat> There's there's a thing I call confronting Mr. Cuddle. And for anyone who's read Fred Jones's first book, he talks about his ultimate confrontation with Mr. Cuddle. Now, I don't know if there's a Mr. Cuddle moment in this movie, but do you think African people are at the point where they're going to have to confront Mr. Covey in a in physical manner. And I apologize. I'm not familiar with uh, Mr. Covey. Can you give me just a little bit more context on him versus Frederick Douglass? Okay. Frederick Douglass was 14 and he had just gotten sold to uh, Mr. Covey. His infamous nickname was the Inbreaker. Got it. Yep. And the first time uh, Douglas tried to organize other enslaved Africans uh, to go to rise up against Mr. Covey, Mr. Covey beats him to within an inch of his life. It takes him maybe about three to six months to recover. Then one day, uh, Mr. Covey comes to a barn and Frederick Douglass has already made up his mind whether I live or whether I die. Uh, I will not continue to live one more day as a slave. And he fought Mr. Covey to a standstill after two hours. And Mr. Covey never uh, touched Frederick Douglass again. And so that was a turning point in Frederick Douglass's life where he says, no matter what happens, uh, I'm going to rumble for my freedom. So no, yeah, it, it, thank you. Now because it, it, it kind of came back for me. So I, I think that I think every man comes to that moment, right? Mm. I think every man comes to that moment. As a people, no, I don't think that will will uh, will ever happen. But I think every man kind of comes to that moment, and I think if we don't do anything about the legacy of police being able to harm, here is my thing. If you're a police officer, you are deputized to protect and serve. You should not be able to be a white supremacist and be a police officer. White supremacy is antithetical to blackness. That's, that's, that's its whole existence. And so if you're allowed to be part of a group that wants to violently oppose black people for nothing more than their skin, and you're also a cop, I personally don't reconcile those two. 
And so once you become a threat to me, you're a threat. And that, the, 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 the Halloween, you're wearing a Halloween costume at that point, right? I'm not a criminal. I'm probably like you two gentlemen. I know who I am. I'm not a criminal. I'm a law-abiding citizen. But I'm not going to be terrorized by somebody wearing a Halloween costume pretending who wants to be a white supremacist and wants to harm me. And so like every other American, I have a God-given right to defend myself. And if you're a white supremacist and you're threatening me or my family, I have every right, just like Frederick Douglass did, to defend himself. And that's kind of where I, I stand on that. And to be perfectly candid, that should not be a controversial position. I mean, do either of you think that that's controversial at all? Given our history in this country, <laughs> it's only controversial if um, you know. There's an old saying, "Ain't no clone when the rabbit got the gun." That's true. And 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 so what's what I think is beginning to happen, and I'm, I'm going back to our warrior ancestor, Dr. Khaled Muhammad, who had no issue. Confronting the enemy on a physical realm. I mean, we've seen it during his days in the Nation of Islam, and we've seen it during his days in the New Black Panther Party. He understood that eventually you're going to have to rumble with this beast. You can't pray your way out of it. You can't uh, throw seances. You can't burn sage. At what point? Because I think, you know, Kennedy said it best. He says, those who make a peaceful revolution impossible make violent revolution inevitable. And I think we're closer to that tipping point than we realize. I'm not saying you want it to happen, but if we understand history, uh, it will ultimately manifest itself. Yeah, and it's, it's interesting that you mentioned the, the Panthers because it's, I don't know if any of you all saw the um, Daniel Kalua. Um, Lakeith Stanfield film that just came out, um, Judas and the Black Messiah, and it, it's it's almost like it's taken Hollywood this far to get to the point where we see that you know what these guys weren't bad, they weren't you know revolutionary in any real. What Fred Hampton was asking for wasn't something that was just out of left field, you know, from Mars. He was asking for equality and mainly fairness not to be beaten and terrorized by the Chicago police. And so it's just like, is, that, is it that crazy of an ask for Black people to ask America to not have police physically terrorize us? I, don't, I just don't feel, I don't see what's controversial about that point. And whatever would come after, if, if America decides, you know what, we're okay with cops still being able to terrorize African American. I saw the George Floyd video 16 hours after it happened. And I just watched him urinate on himself. I watched him finally call out to his mother. And then I watched him give up the ghost. And I'm just thinking, when is he gonna like what is he doing? Like he's got cuffs on, he's on the ground, he's on his belly, he got 15, 20 people there begging you to let him up, his nose is bleeding, and the cop is just oblivious to it. And I'm thinking, is America okay? Like, is America okay with this? 
And then, of course, we saw the fallout, which surprised me. I, I would not have expected a race riot of that magnitude to have ensued across the I mean, they were rioting in Japan. It was just like, wow, this is, you know, this has consumed the whole world. Um, so that was surprising to me. But again, I just come back to America and thinking, is, is what black people are asking for, is it that controversial? I, I just, it doesn't feel controversial to me. And I don't know why people make it a controversy if people are like, hey man, I don't like that you just, you can be a white supremacist and put on a cop uniform and then kill me and then have the state protect you as a cop. I just don't see what's, what's difficult for people to comprehend about black people's concern about that, ongoing concern. So, hey, we're chatting with Ryan Culver, and he's the producer of the uh, the great groundbreaking film, The Education of a Negro. And we we're just talking about the George Floyd situation. And what's interesting about that is, I just said in a tweet a few days ago that this ends we won't when we won't accept it anymore. This ends when we won't accept it anymore. Because it's my position that, uh, you know. Derek Chauvin is going to be allowed free. He's probably going to be employed. You know, he's going to be celebrated. Um, I, I think it's about to happen again. And I think it's important that we start putting together personally and collectively how we're going to respond to the upcoming injustice that's going to happen. You know, our injustice system is traditionally <laughs> uh, benign neglect, and we're going to let anybody get away with harming us. You know, that's that's been the tradition of our injustice system. So I think we need to really start looking at what we're going to do collectively and personally when this happens. And I think your film kind of leads us to that point that one of the actors said, I'm going to take action to make sure this doesn't happen anymore, or it's less likely to happen anymore. And I, I I agree. This ends when we won't accept it anymore. Well, and keep in mind, I have to remind people that this, like I said, I wrote the script in 17. So, I mean, you know, both of John hadn't happened. Um, Derek Chauvin had happened. I mean, a lot of these hadn't, hadn't happened yet. And definitely we hadn't seen kind of the white supremacist revolution or resurgence in the, in the way that we've seen it across the country. Um, so it feels like it was a little prescient there. Um, I, I'm crossing my fingers. Like I said, I'm from Minnesota. I feel like enough people saw it. And regardless, regardless of whether there was fentanyl in, in the system or he had a heart condition, I, I fought to the but four, right? So he had a heart condition. Half of Americans have a heart condition, right? If you put my knee, your knee on my neck, that mm -hmm. exacerbates, you know what I mean? It's like, what does his heart condition have to do with him being prone and having a knee on his neck? Like that was is what caused his death. So I'm concerned about all the technicalities that they try to introduce, but I don't know. I mean, maybe it's just the optimism in me. I feel like after this summer and then after January 6th, I feel like a lot of people are understanding there's a lot of racial injustice and hopefully are looking in the mirror you know, our sister Brianna Taylor is another one. I mean, you do a no-knock warrant. The brother thinks that somebody's breaking in. It's two o'clock in the morning. I mean, what do you want him to do, right? Right. So what What did you expect that he would he would do? And, the, and I don't know if you guys ever listened to Kenneth Walker's interview with the DA or with the detective, 
He says, the brother had such a good heart. He says in the interview with the detective, I shot off around at the bottom of the door, hoping to just scare them away, whoever it was. So he wasn't even trying to hurt somebody. He was just trying to get them clear of his house. And then, uh, of course, his girlfriend is gunned down. And, and we understand that they had nothing to do with any of it from the beginning and that the cops lied and they uh, went to the postmaster and they made him lie and they lied to the judge and you know nothing has happened to, to to those cops that did that so i would hope that that the, the riots this summer and then the january 16 have people judges jurors da's recognizing that they they're bringing their bias and that they have to cut that out but we'll see you know we'll see you're way more optimistic than I am. Uh, I see this interview here, brother. Tell me about this interview. Yeah, this is uh, actually what they call a screen test. So those are the uh, that's the main protagonist on the left. That's Kenny, and then that's the cop on the right. One of the cops on the right. And um, so this is actually a screen test. And we do this before we actually go on set, just to get a sense of the chemistry with the actors. And so right. we did this probably, we shot the film or started shooting the film in May, June, and July. And I think we did this screen test back in um, in February of, uh, of 18, February, March of 18. So. Okay. Let's check out this screen test. And I'll yeah, yeah, yeah. smile. <laughs> you think the Italians or the Jews will let that happen to their boys? <laughs> Hell, even a wetback knows a business transaction when he sees so one of the gentlemen I was working with on casting told me that if you give an actor direction in an audition and they don't do it, it's either because they can't or they don't want to. Either way, you don't want them on the set. And I remember giving Mike some specific direction here that I wanted a much more hearty, sinister laugh, like you were trying to agitate or aggravate Kenny, uh, played by Kendrick Brown, opposite him to violence. And uh, he said, okay. And I said, action. And then they got to the point and I And I knew then I had my detective. Let's just say I'm no longer here under a law enforcement capacity. This is... Uh... All right. That was intriguing, Ryan. That, that was really intriguing. Um, Let me tell you guys something. Wow. Like that guy, first the, the brother on the left, Kendrick's is a great actor. That guy on the right, and I, and I think when you see the movie, you guys will. Even though he's a he's a bad guy, I think when you see the movie, you enjoy you enjoy all the cops' performances because they're really, really, really good. And like I said at the outset, I was I was blessed enough to work with some really talented uh, to actors that I think you guys will definitely be seeing on their uh, on their way up. So. I say, I say, Minister Zumbi. I know you're gonna come with that heat, man. What's what's your next question, bro? I, I guess the only thing I, I have to say about it is, and, and I keep going back to history. I, I sometimes wonder if we, if we made a mistake, because I think sometimes uh, in our behavior or misbehavior, we teach others how to treat us. And we don't know when to draw that line in the sand. Uh, when the brother was talking about the scene where with the pastor, 
talking about forgiving. The only one who would feed you that is an enemy who created your theology in the first place. Okay. And I think we also have to start putting religion under the microscope and asking ourselves, are we really practicing what we're being taught or are we carrying out a slave theology that has been imposed on us during our capture? So, so yeah, for the, as, as far as the religion part, uh, Minister Zumbi, um, I, that, I, f I feel like people watching this interview will be like, I don't have a reason to watch the movie. You just told me everything that happens in the movie. But there is a scene in there where that, what you just talked about, uh, where do we get our religion from, comes up. And that's part of the discussion and part of, I think, um, what pushes the plot forward in, you know, in act two. So yes, I want people to watch this. I want people to watch this interview and then go watch the movie. So I'm kind of smiling and maybe dancing around your question without trying to give, give away, uh, give away too much. But I will say that that comes up and um, I don't know if you had a chance to see it yet. I'd love for you to watch it and maybe just give me some of your feedback. Cause I think a lot of the things uh, you're probably going to bring up are, are covered in uh in this movie and i think there are a lot of questions that people you know legacy black americans are, are asking ourselves right and I, I tried to hit on those and then present them in an entertaining but an educational way that's why i called the film the education of the negro um to uh, to make people think so interesting 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 uh i pulled up some of the pictures from the film so tell us about who we see in these photos. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So on the left, that's like I said, Kendrick Lamas Brown. He's the lead actor. Uh, this happened, this was our premiere in LA. So it was a, a while after. You see he's got the whole Bob Marley thing going on. Uh, that gentleman is a fantastic, I'm telling you guys, he's a fantastic actor. He's a rapper also. Just a really A1 creative. And then on his right, on his left, is Mikhail Simons. She plays a New York Times-esque reporter who kind of comes down to, to Minneapolis to investigate uh, both the, uh, the trial and then also investigate white supremacy within the, um, within the, uh, within the police. And so she's kind of breaking, breaking the story. And actually she, I can't give away too much, but yeah, she's, she plays a central character. That guy on the right is our DP, uh, director of photography named Nick. Um, I don't know why his last name is, uh, is escaping me right now. I should know it, but um Nick was a great DP, a young DP, first time DP, but excellent eye. Um, people love the uh, the cinematography in the film. So if you guys right, have a chance to right. see it, I mean, the shots that he was able to put together on a low budget that we had were phenomenal. And then that's his father on the uh, on the right. These two sisters. So on the right is our uh, our lead actress, Alyssa Murray. She's fantastic. Again, for all you who are listening, please go and watch and support the film. We need that support. She is, you will not, when I say this, I mean this, you will not be disappointed with her performance in the uh, in the film. On her on her right was her agent. That's her agent that was with her at the, uh, yeah, that's her agent there on her right at the premiere. Okay. On the left is a gentleman who had a small part, Dario Lee, 
he's a good act, a good up and coming actor, and then that's his homeboy with him who came to the uh, to the premiere. Dario's a great up and coming actor, a good basketball player as well. That's our poster, man. This guy shows up six times in the film. I'm not going to tell you any more than that. But you want to see the film? This guy shows up six times. Every time he shows up, it's murder. Every time he shows up, it's murder. Rob Francis, that's uh, one of the officers, one of the white supremacist officers. Uh, I can't give away who she is, but I would say watch the film. You'll you'll love her performance. She's in it for maybe five minutes, but she keeps your uh, your attention. And she still she absolutely steals the opening scene. <laughs> She's keeping attention, definitely. Okay. Yeah, this is that's Nomsa, that's Nomsa and Lambo. We talked about her before. Okay, I, I just had to take a second. Okay, yeah. okay. <laughs> that's the detective. That's the guy you see. We talked about. He was in the uh, screen test. We talked about. That's Mike Marinaccio, really good actor. So this this young lady, Maggie Cherilis, actually plays a black conservative reporter. And when you see the film, you're going to be very angry with how she talks about um, uh, black black on black crime and everything that is presented. There's an excuse for why the cops do what they do uh, to black people, and that nothing none of it has to do with white supremacy or anything like that. It's all the, the I'm giving away too much. Watch the all film. right, so you were able to catch. You were able to cast Candace Owens at Candace Owens without getting Candace Owens. <laughs> Listen, everybody says that. I can't I can't say that because she's a public figure. I will say that this is a black conservative uh reporter. He plays the father, his name is KJ Rashid. He's a really good actor, older gentleman out of California. He did a really good job, I thought. Kirk, Isaiah Locus, he was one of my favorite actors to work with. I think he's about 23, 24. He plays the younger brother. Uh, he's hilarious. This is Chike. He's uh, one of the best friends of Kenny, another good actor. This is a, a, CN, a CNN-like reporter who's got some interesting opinions on, on the murder and, and African-American people. I'm not going to give away who this guy is. He's he, Baker Wilds is his name, but you got to watch the film to figure it out. Yeah, figure it out. And then that's that's Ooh, uh, Alicia. that's Alyssa Murray. Yeah, that's the one we talked about before. That's her. She plays JJ, the wife. What else has she done? You probably seen saw her in the I don't know if you watch Issa Rae's Insecure, but that's probably where you've seen her. She's also done some national commercials. She did a couple okay. national commercials that were out this year. So you may have seen her. I can't remember what products they were for, but they were two that she put up on her IG and I saw him. And uh, you may have seen her in the, in those commercials. This is Anna Carnover. She plays the wife of one of the cops. Really good performance. That's a lead guy. We talked about him before. Right. And this is a family photo. One of the family photos we use for the uh, props in the film. Ooh. Yeah, you gotta, you gotta watch the film to see what these guys do. I'm not gonna <laughs> give it away. <laughs> the kind of boogaloo boyish. When, whenever you, yeah, whenever you see these guys, is 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 death and murder coming to your doorstep? These are these. Oh, oh, hold on, wait, 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 wait! wait. I, I got to go back for that. Yeah, interesting. These, yeah, these 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 two play the uh, the brothers uh, in flashbacks. So when they're younger, they play the brother in, in a few flashbacks we've got in the film. Really good young actors too. They were really good to have on set. 
All right, so uh, Tania Thomas is watching, and she says, "Why can't you say? <laughs> Why can't you say? <laughs> uh, well, you know what? Maybe she needs to know how to watch the movie. So tell Tania how she can watch the movie. Oh, so she wants me to say more about it because I'm advertising. Well, so here's the problem, right? If I give away everything, then I just, you know, you want people to watch the film, so she can watch it on uh, on Amazon or on Apple TV. She can watch it on." Uh, YouTube, and then we're also on Google Play. So, and it's a buck ninety nine. It's you know, it's basically peanuts, but I, I guarantee you'll feel uh, you'll feel like it's 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 worth it. And if she's got a specific question for me, I'll be more than happy to to answer. But I know some people like to figure things out, right? They don't want to have everything given to them. They want to watch the watch the film and kind of watch the twist unfold. So, right, I'm sorry, right, Tania. <laughs> and hopefully we said your name right, Queen. Uh, so you can also rent it on YouTube. That's right. Yeah, just go to YouTube if you've got an account. Um, I think it's eight on YouTube. I think you can get it uh, the standard def for ninety nine. You probably want to get the HD version for buck ninety nine. But yeah, we we tried to go everywhere where we thought you know our, our audience would be, and uh, we tried to make it a price point that was not too too heavy on the um, on the uh, on the pocketbook. Well, how does that business model work? I know that uh, Minister Zumbi is always interested in the economics of things. Uh, how does, you know, how do you profit by placing your film on YouTube? So it's, it's you got to get, well, it's not free, right? So we're going to get paid every time somebody buys them on, on YouTube or on Amazon or wherever. And we take a split. It's a different split with every, every, um, every um, you know, platform. So I think Apple is, we get like 65 or 70%. Don't quote me on this. I'd have to go to my, my motto. Amazon, I know, is 50-50. I think YouTube is like 60-30 or 60-40. Um, so it's basically like movie tickets, right? I mean, when you go to the movies, you buy a ticket. A portion of that goes to the theater, and then a portion of that goes back to the studio who made the movie. It's kind of the same business model that YouTube and, and these other platforms have put into production, except it allows a guy like me to make a film and have it seen by people all over the world without having to go through, you know, a traditional studio. So, and then to come on platforms like this and, you know, I thank you brothers for having me on and be able to talk to your audience and get sisters like Tania to, uh, to get interested in, in watching and uh, hopefully enjoying the film. Now you also did a screening. I used to do screenings with some of the content from Jason Black and Tariq Nasheed. I think we've screened all of Tariq's Hidden Colors films in Norfolk, Virginia at a theater that we used to rent out. And we did three of Jason Black's films. We did Gentrified, we did 7AM, and we did one of his other films. What was the process like for you to screen a film? We had to do a concept that they call four-walling. So you have to uh, find the theater. Uh, most of the time it's gonna be an independent theater. And then you contact them and say, hey, we get, we got a film. We'd like to show it on this day or that day. You know, how much will it cost? Um, some of the outlets wanted to do kind of a split. We thought, you know what, just give us your base price. Um, we'll drive traffic. And then, you know, we'll we'll keep the net over, excuse me, over what, uh, what it cost us. So we did that. And it wasn't too difficult. Uh, again, you look it up and say, hey, we want to come here. Here is a... Um, Here's a theater in, uh, you know, Virginia or Texas or Minnesota or New York or wherever you want to screen. 
and usually they're um, they're more than happy to work with you because they've got a you know opening on Wednesday or Thursday or a Saturday afternoon or whenever, and uh, it's money in their pocket, and then you get a chance to have your fans see your screen on the big um, big screen, see your film, excuse me, on the big screen. And I will say this: um, there's definitely a difference between um, watching your film on the big screen and watching it on you know watching it in your home or in your computer. So. Um, it is and experiencing it when I, I when I screened it, I would always sit in the back and just wait for the moments of where people laughed or they kind of gasped. Right. And sometimes you're yeah. right. You're like, I know that they're going to do that there. And then sometimes you're totally off. You're like, I didn't. That wasn't a laugh line, but everybody laughs and it's consistent. And you're like, <laughs> oh, that's a people found that part to be funny. So it's always interesting to me to just sit in the back for a couple hours and just listen to people's reaction. I mean, we're here in Dallas. When we first screened it, um, I can't say much about that final scene, but there's something that happens. And when it happened, all the sisters in the theater said, oh, no, he didn't. And again, it was one of those moments where I felt um, excited that I could get the audience to emote like that. So as a filmmaker, you, you kind of like those moments. And, and that was one of those moments. So. Good stuff. Good stuff. Well, Minister Zumbi, once again, he's the brother who put out the book, The Gospel of Afronomics Theology. You can buy that. I bought it at my local bookstore. You can buy it on Amazon and you know other places like that. Uh, I know you have another question, Brother Zumbi, but before we do that, I want to bring everyone's attention to my services. I provide money for real estate investors throughout the United States. We can do 90% of your purchase price and 100% of the re air costs. So it's 90% of the purchase, 100% of the rehabs. This is one of the properties that we recently worked on. We purchased it for 96 and needed 60,000 in rehab. After repair value, it says 227K. It's actually closer to 229, 233K. Uh, it's going to go on the market soon. So if you're a real estate investor, holler. Give me a call, 757-932-0177, 757-932-0177. And back to Minister, Minister Zumbi. I call him Minister 8-Ball. If you wonder why I call him Minister 8-Ball, you have to watch his interview. But uh, bro, 8-Ball, what's good? Well, there there is a, I, I guess it's a twofold question um, for Brother Ryan. How do you think this movie will push the dialogue amongst African people in terms of what should be our next step? And how will this movie also push uh, the dialogue to encourage uh, young African people to engage more in independent filmmaking and not have to go through Hollywood to get funding? I'm going to take that first question, uh, last question first, because it, it's, it's one I like. Um, I hope that it encourages people to realize that, yes, this film, making it as an independent feature film was hard work, but it wasn't brain surgery, right? And by that, I mean, it's stuff that you can figure out, right? It's stuff that if you want to make films that you can figure out how to do. I tell people all the time, if you can count to 10, you can understand the basics of finance, right? And if you can read, you can understand with the help of Google, basic contracts. Of course, yeah, you need lawyers and stuff like that, but there's really no excuse for you not doing things on your own. And then you, for those who have what I call a very important desire in our community is 
you need to have the desire to start at the bottom, right? So many people want to go to HBO or Showtime or Netflix and have them do all the hard work and then hand over $5 million to make your dream project. And uh, as an entrepreneur, I just don't understand that mindset because that's not how Netflix survives, right? Uh, they, they're going to find the cream and then they're going to invest in the cream. And if you want to be the cream, it's like basketball. I tell people all the time, LeBron James didn't, Kobe Bryant didn't get to the finals on one day. He started when he was in fifth grade, way before any of us ever knew his name. Do you know what I mean? Like before we even knew Kobe or LeBron or Michael Jordan, they were getting it, you know, getting it going in fifth grade, sixth grade, seventh grade, high school. Um, and so I just encourage people, don't fall in love with the romanticism of Hollywood, trying to get to the top or trying to start at the top. You can start at the at the bottom. This is I'm a rookie filmmaker. I had never done this before, but through YouTube and through other independent filmmakers who are willing to talk to me and mentor me, uh, it can be done. And it's important that we drive our own stories and that people, and that kind of gets us dovetails into your first question where it's a story that's untainted by Hollywood. And I don't mean that in the pejorative. I just mean that people are always going to tell their own stories, right? So Minister Zumbi, when I read your book on Afronomics, it's, I'm guessing, you can correct me, but it's going to be a book on economics, finance, entrepreneurism from a black man's point of view. And that's important because in school, most of the books you read are not necessarily from a black man's point of view. And so it's important to get those points of view. And this film is just that. It's a point of view of, again, I'm not a criminal. I have no interest in criminal activity. I'm proud to be an American. I don't have, I'm just being perfectly candid. I don't have, you know, I wish I did have roots in in Western Africa. I know that's where my you know ancestors came from, but I don't have that connection. Uh, I'm not a criminal, but this film is how I see black people in our relations with the police. And there's a problem there, right? And if you want to ignore that, if you're an American citizen and you want to ignore that, then fine. But my question after the George Floyd riots were, how many times does America have to see race riots before we decide to address the problem? 1919, 1927, 1945, almost every year in the 1960s, right? And I say that with a smile, but you know, there was a major riots almost every year in the 1960s. There was another riot, I think, in Miami in 1983. We all know about the Rodney King riots in 1992. And then you get the George Floyd riots, and it's like, okay, so are we just comfortable with race riots every 20 or 25 years, or do we want to address you know, the fundamental problem. And so I think when we get more filmmakers who are not scared to say, this is my voice, I'm an American, but this is how I feel about this. And I'm not scared to put this out there. Um, then I think that Brother Zumbi then triggers the necessary conversations and not just among among us, right? I mean, it's gotta be a conversation of, you know, everybody, you know, mm-hmm. behavior, in this 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 formula this equation has to change, um, and to me, I, I know I'm kind of bumbling on here, but I guess if if I was a shot caller in America, I would ask myself, what benefit do I get from um, keeping a whole class of people uh, oppressed on purpose? Like, what what's the benefit 
there. These are not, you know, these are American citizens. I mean, these aren't people that, you know, came from Mars. These are American citizens. And I'm not sure what the benefit is of, of purposely trying to keep these people oppressed and accepting the fact that we're just going to have major race riots. Because I said, and I don't know if you guys saw Dave Chappelle, and he did his, uh, was it 816 or 846? I don't know if you guys saw that. But at the end of that, he, sa- he said essentially like, hey, man, this, this riot, the next riot might not be like this one, right? The next riot might not be like this one. And do we really want to get to a place where it's, it's instead of people just rioting and, and, and bombing st- or, you know, raiding stores, it's something worse? I would say no. And I would say I think most Americans would say, would say no. So uh, I hope I answered your questions, Minister Zumbi, in there. Uh, for the filmmaker part, I, I'm hope, I hope I'm encouraging young filmmakers to realize that you're going to have to do it yourself. And you're going to have to have the courage and discipline to start at the bottom because nobody's going to hand you anything. And then as far as the conversation, um, I think the film, I, I know for a fact, for 90, 95% of the people that see the film, it has started uh, a real conversation because, again, there's no Hollywood taint in this film. There's no let's make it a happy ending. Let's bring everybody together because that's not the reality that we live in. Uh, as a people right now, right? So, um, yeah. One thing I want to add uh, as you were talking, the former police chief of Seattle uh, was being interviewed on CBC and basically he was saying what mistakes were made by Ferguson police in the shooting death of Michael Brown. The one thing he said is that there is a fear of culture from the academy all the way into the police force where officers are taught that there are certain uh, neighborhoods and certain demographics that already trigger fear. So let's say you're triggered by this fear. And then I had another police chief I was having a conversation with, and he just tells me that he he personally knew that there were uh, officers on the force who were self-medicating and he didn't go any further than that but i had an idea what he was talking about so the one thing that i say that that could be brought out in these dialogues is a demand for random mandatory drug testing and i think that will go a long way into minimizing uh these incidents well and that shows my ignorance because i would have thought that police officers were already drug tested but I mean, you give somebody life and death power, right? And you would mm-hmm. think that that would be a normal, a normal thing. If we're going to give you Not special yet. powers to take people's lives based on your judgment, then what better determinant of that judgment is whether or not you choose to break the law and using uh, uh, illegal substances? That, yeah, I'm, I'm shocked, uh, Minister Zumbi, to find that that's. Drug testing is not uh, not standard for all. All I mean, we drug test athletes, right? <laughs> we drug test athletes for what? What's the what, what? Why would we drug test athletes and not drug test police officers? So yeah, I'm I'm shocked that that's not something that already happens. And you know, uh, Minister Zumbi, I found that some officers were trained to be biased. Some officers were trained to be biased. I had an interview, and I'm going to play a little bit of it. 
but she she revealed. Uh, then I went to my second police academy um, after being. Let me skip ahead a little situation. bit. Okay. Hmm. And uh, any anywhere that we are de-escalating or where that that we're encouraged to. Um, talk through a problem or deal with a small larceny or that kind of thing. It's that's when our white role players are utilized. So um, I got reprimanded um, severely and actually got written up, um, had a chance to defend myself. Um, and I was told uh, by the commandant uh, of, of my school that um, he understood where I was coming from, but uh, it wasn't how I made friends and I, I needed to just play along. I, 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 okay. Okay. And you know, what's crazy is I've heard this countless times before with other law enforcement agents. And uh, uh, this is no shock to me, but it still shocks me. And what she was describing was that when they had role playing to teach the police officers how to handle difficult situations, the situations where there was a, a melanated person, a black person, was the situations where they had to use force. And the situations where they just talked to somebody were the situations where they had role players who were Caucasian. Whoa, really? Yes. You, you know, uh, Brother Sekou, I call that a disease that's specific to white people. I call it the fear of a black planet syndrome, because the greater the threat you are to racism and white imperialism, the more vicious the oppression has to be. Yep. Yep. I wanted to play one other video from uh, one of your casting calls as we bring our conversation to a close. We can do a part two at a later point. But yeah, so. Let's watch this and make sure that we get it. Also, another experience of what the casting, the screen test were like, all right? Action. Mr. Tate, Mary Johansson, New York Tribune. How are you? Good. Call me Ken, please. Where do you want me? Right there, Stein. Uh, did you want something to drink? Thank you. No. No, so one of the things I learned in casting is that people who self-tape well sometimes don't audition well, and some people who audition and screen test very well uh, maybe have self-tapes that are average. Uh, Mikhail uh, had a good self-tape, but she was fifth place coming into auditions. Uh, she was first place coming out of auditions. I really loved her in auditions, and then obviously she screen tested very well. Mikhail Simons is there. On the left, in case I didn't mention that, um, she was just enjoy to work with. She had such a fantastic attitude, um, and uh, I thought a really talented, uh, really talented actress. I'm looking forward to seeing her more. A good thing with the trial. That that's that's very interesting, man. That's that's very interesting. It seems like you know, brother Ryan, you really had a very extraordinary set and 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 filming i was looking at the pictures earlier with some of the some of the scenes from when you were you know doing the shots and i was just kind of blown away man it looks like you really had a high quality production how did you afford it man uh so i mean i don't know that it was a matter of of i would, I would say this it's i'm trying to say this without making the cast feel like they're cheap 
Um, <laughs> it, it's not it's not as expensive as you would think, right? And I'll, I'll say that it's not as expensive as you would think because you have actors who looked at the script and said, yes, this is the kind of acting I want to do, right? There's no vampires, there's no wolves, there's no, you know, this is a real movie, and so I can sink my teeth into this role, whether it's the mother, whether it's the police officer, whether it's the wife. And so I think I was able to really benefit from not only cast, but crew as well, who read the script and said, Don, we think this is a really good script. We want to be involved. Sign me up. Here's what I'll take. I know it's, it's, it's not a lot, but I want to be involved in this project because it's something I believe in. And again, keeping in mind, this is before all of kind of the unrest that we've seen over the last few years. So I really take special care to make sure and thank my cast and crew for believing in me, right? Because it takes that commitment to say, I'm going to spend the next three or four or five months of my life learning a 60, 70 pages of a script to be able to come in and perform and, um, you know, give you the, give you what you need to make this, uh, make these movies. So yeah, what you're looking at there is a house. We had a, uh, an Airbnb that we rented and we had a production designer come in and make it look like, you know, a house of a young, a young 30 year old black couple. And I mean, you wouldn't have, you know, when you see the movie, you wouldn't be able to, to tell the difference. I think we got all of the key positions you need for a studio film. And we got a lot of people who were just, you know, if you're asking how we did it, a lot of people were just kind of starting out or on their second or third film and kind of looking for credits. And again, they were able to to commit to to me and to the vision and give me their, um, yeah, give me their, their best. This is the bedroom scene. I tell people all the time, I don't know if ever, any brothers have ever been a movie set. And this was a, 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 a you know, an indie film movie set. So we had, I think the most people we had on set one day at one time was like 35. And usually every day it was maybe 15 to 20. But there's so much stuff going on behind the scenes of a film that you don't, you just don't know. Like when you guys see this this shot in the movie, it's just him and her in bed. But literally all of these people are in the room turning on lights or holding a microphone or making a sound effect just to make that like 30 or 45 second scene come to life. And if you watch the movie, you wouldn't have any clue that, you know, all of us were kind of crowded in this room bringing this scene to life. But it was so. All right. So, Ryan, um, any last things you want to share and Minister Zumbi, any last questions that you might have with Ryan? Uh, I think my last question for Ryan is, when's the workshop? <laughs> workshop, workshop, workshop. What do you mean? Well, basically to teach us how to. Oh, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. yeah. Oh, of course. I would love to. I, would, I mean, you know, one of the things, I'm glad you bring that up, Mr. Doom, because what I found on the way uh, uh, in developing this film is that everybody wants to charge for stuff. And I just feel like, I mean, not just, you know, us, but just everybody in Hollywood, consultant this, consultant that, come to my workshop, it's, nine, you know, 99. I'm like, you made one movie. Why would I give you $99 to, to you know? So, yeah, mm-hmm. I didn't, I've never even thought about that because, Minister Zumbi, to be honest, and this is not false humility, mm-hmm. I feel like who would want to learn anything from me? I'm, a, you know, I made one film and 
it's on Amazon. It's not on Netflix and it's not, you know, there's no Denzel or anybody. Um, so I, I had that attitude, like, hey, who would want to learn coming to one of my workshops? But no, I would be happy to, to share my knowledge with, with anybody and just let them know that you can, you can do it and you need to do it and you don't need to, to wait. But there was one thing I said to myself, and I get this from my parents, is that if I could do it, I was going to do it right within the best of my means. Right. I was not going to be sloppy. If I was going to make this film for the family, then I wanted something the family could be proud about, whether that was in Seattle, Florida, New York, the UK, that they could say, you know what? This brother took his time with this film. He can't, you showed some of the screen tests. He cast it well. He wrote it well. And even though there's no stars and it's an indie film, it's a film that we can we can enjoy. So I guess that's my last word. I really hope that the family likes it and and uh, gets a chance to enjoy it. And I appreciate you brothers having you on the show. Wow. And we're looking on your Facebook page right now. And uh, here's that scary fella. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's going to light up here in a second. Yeah, there he is. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, and, well, Hearts Co. Uh, H-A-R-T-S-C-O. Uh, tell us about that before we close, man. It's the uh, family. I took the middle initials of uh, members of my family, rearranged them, and made it into uh, into that name. And they didn't even know that. It took them twenty minutes to figure it out. So, but that that's the uh, yeah that was the the brand. I took the middle initial of each of my uh, family members, and then just arranged it into a name that sounded cool. So that's the story there. Well, I love what I'm seeing, man. And people can go to the Facebook page, the education of a Negro. And of, of course, when I hear that, I think of the miseducation. Sure, 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 um, yeah. And we I'm not just talking Lauren Hill. <laughs> no, no, I'm, I, I'm talking about the real one, our brother Carter G. Yes. Right. Yeah. Right. And I, I also think of the education of Sonny Carson. I mm. saw that film. You know what? I saw they have that film on YouTube and I watched it um, because it came up when I was doing like history of the name of this film. And it came up, and I was like, I never heard of this education of Sonny Carson, but I saw the film. Yeah, I saw that film. Yeah. All right. And I see you on Apple TV, Amazon, YouTube. Was that Voodoo, Google Voodoo, Play? Google Play. And people can buy the DVD? If they get the DVD, uh, it's only $5.99, shipping included, and you mm -hmm. get a bunch of extras. So you get director's commentary, you get all the screen tests. Essentially, you get part of the workshop. I'm taking you through. You know how our actor interviews, how we did everything. So it's a, uh, it's um, uh, you know, if you've got it and you want to support, it's just another way for people to be able to support. So, mm. all right, we'll check everything out here on his Facebook page. Uh, I, I like this particular image, and we've been talking with Ryan Culver, the producer of the Education of a Negro. We've also had um, back on the show. A friend of the show, I guess he's becoming like a fixture in many ways. <laughs> uh, Minister Zumbi, the author of the Gospel of Afronomics Theology. So we want to say, everyone, go check out the movie. I'm going to check it out with the wifey. We'll sit back and check it out on probably on Google Play. You know, we'll probably watch it there, maybe on YouTube. Um, but we encourage each one of you to get on code and to watch this. So Get On Code Show was strictly about empowerment. And I believe that films like this, content like this, can help us empower ourselves.
to deal with situations that, you know, like the situation coming up with Derek Chauvin um, and the miscarriage of justice that the Congressional Black Caucus did. You know, that George Floyd Act would not have prevented George Floyd's death. Hmm. And we're celebrating these congressional people. The Congress failed us. America has failed us. The Congressional, the congressional Black Caucus has failed us. That's my position. Um, so we need to get on code, get on code economically. In terms of content, we need to get on code. And Brother Ryan, it looks like you're on code with this one. We need to do something. And as I said before, this will change when we change the way we respond to it. So it's time for a different response. And hopefully this movie will be thought-provoking. So we'll say no more talk. <laughs> I like it. I appreciate the, uh, the, the you, again, you all having me on the show. This is very uh, informative. And I'm hoping your viewers like the, uh, like the film. Good stuff. All right. Take care, everybody. Peace. Peace. Show was brought to you by Positive Vibes Consulting Consulting Service. We do credit fixes. We do tax resolution. We lend private money and debt consolidation. So if you need some of these services, we're waiting here for you. Credit fixes, tax resolutions, private money, and debt consolidation. Make sure you call Positive Vibes Incorporated.